0: Can we ring in the season with a carol of praise this morning? Let us adore Him. Let us adore Him. Yeah. Oh, come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Redemption Church. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling, yeah. Bring your sorrows and treat them for joy. life is for Jesus is come. is the blood of Jesus Christ, cause he paid it all for you, he wants to meet with you, what a savior we have, yeah, so what a savior. Good morning. Is a real side. We bow down before you in your presence, bow down. never fades. Your goodness is everlasting.
1: in our mother's womb you were caring for us when we were too small to raise our own heads or walk you were there for us in all the days of our life you have put clothes on our backs and food in our bellies and a roof over our heads God we are filled with thanksgiving this morning for your faithfulness and most of all God God We have your love. We have your love for us. We confess that very often, Lord, we look in the mirror and we can't understand why you love us so much. And yet you do. As we remember every Christmas season, you love us so much that you would humble yourself. The word made flesh. Come among us as a child that we might draw near to you. Father, this morning we thank you most of all for who you are, for your heart, for your spirit, for your presence. We glorify you this morning, and we give thanks. And God, we come to you in prayer, crying out for healing in our land, God, not just healing of the body, although we ask for that but for healing of the spirit, of the soul, Lord, of the heart and mind. God, we pray that we, your people, would resolutely point to confession and repentance and humility, which is such a gift and brings such healing. God, may these things triumph in our land, in our hearts. We pray for healing in our land, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It is great to see you. Welcome to second service here at MRCC. Welcome especially to everybody who's joining us online right now, live or in the podcast. We're thrilled that you're with us. And would you take just a moment and make sure everybody around you feels welcome. Just say hi. Introduce yourself to the person next to you. Would you do that? Make sure everybody feels welcome. great to see you it is great to be with you who's still looking forward to leftovers after church today we still are at our house so yeah we've moved from the microwave the stuffing to maybe the best part of the whole experience which is the hot turkey sandwich part of the whole thing yeah we got that going the glory is right we got that going this afternoon now are you like me i mean that's got to be your highest ambition in life is to be like me right in, in that, you got to have mustard on your hot turkey sandwich. Yes. Yeah. My wife puts the cranberry sauce on her. No. That's not of God. That's of the enemy. But the mustard is good stuff. It is great to be with I hope you had a terrific Thanksgiving week, uh, whether you traveled or whether you stayed home. Um, We kind of had a fun experience this week in that, you know, our son uh, is 27 now. And, you know, we're getting to that stage of life where we're discovering that he learned more things from us than we thought he did. And, and it's kind of cool, and, you know, he found out that if he worked this week, he could get double time, and so he signed himself up for that, worked all day Thanksgiving, and then came over. So we had our dinner at like 6.30 in the evening, but it was beautiful because, uh, you know, he gets it, <laughs> and he saw an opportunity and grabbed it, and so we were just kind of rejoicing in that. Hey, a couple of quick announcements, friends, um, to call your attention to before we open the word together— one is that uh, this Friday night, you're invited, your is invited to come join us. 7 o'clock tonight, uh, Friday night, here in the sanctuary will be a Christmas family movie night. Uh, we do this every couple of months. It's just a terrific time for fellowship. We'll have uh, snacks and drinks and stuff. You just come bring a blanket, some pillows, spread out here in the sanctuary. It's just a wonderful family time. That'll be happening this Friday night at 7. As always, no cost for anything we do like that. And then, uh, I'm excited because two weeks from today will be our 2021 Kids' Christmas Musical program happening. That's kind of what this is all about here. Um, We didn't get to do that last year, and it's one of the high points of the year. So two weeks from today will be our Kids' Christmas Musical. That'll be happening on Sunday morning. Fair warning, uh, if you normally walk in a little bit late and have no trouble finding a seat, you will have a problem that morning. Uh, So you want to get here early. Uh, There's so many grandmas and grandpas, they just parachute out of the sky on Kids' Christmas Music and uh, gets gets kind of crazy in here, so a fair warning about that. Uh, also, um, we're thrilled this year that we get a, again on Christmas Eve, which is a Friday this year, on Christmas Eve, have our Christmas Eve candlelight communion services. Those will be happening on Christmas Eve at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and 5 o'clock. It's about a 40-minute long service. We sing Christmas hymns, we worship together, we take communion together, and then we head out into our, our Christmas Eve celebrations with Silent Night. It's a great time. If if you've become part of MRCC in the last two years, you haven't seen this, but it is a big deal. A busy evening always. So that'll be happening again, three o'clock, four o'clock, and five o'clock on Christmas Eve. And then one last thing, and that is on the 19th so of December. So that's uh, three weeks from today. Uh, will be our Ugly Christmas Sweater Sunday morning contest. So start preparing yourself for it. I know my wife uh, ordered her Amazon Ugly Sweater, got it this week and was showing it off. I pulled the drapes so the neighbors wouldn't see. But um, Ugly Christmas Center. And, you know, I want to give us hope. Some some year, one of these years, somebody is going to beat Mike and Mary Lou McDougall in the contest. It's going to happen somehow uh, one of these years. It seems like they always win. But uh, we hand out prizes that morning. So, uh, so get yourself ready. Prepare for that. It is great to be with you this morning. Morning. You know, one of the things that we are deeply committed to, as a church, is raising up the next generation uh, of leaders and ministers in God's church, and we're committed to that on a number of levels. Next week, I'm going to be talking to, to us at length about investing in the future and about our new children's wing that's going to start being built next year, uh, right out here outside of the sanctuary. Um, but Part of our ongoing commitment is to raise up the next generation. You might have noticed on the worship team even this morning, if it seems like the worship team is getting younger every week, that's because it is. We hit a, a, a high this morning. But I want to invite Pastor Darius to come and open the word for us this morning. Open your Bible, if you would, to Mark's Gospel, Chapter 11. Pastor Darius can open the word for us.
2: Good morning. morning. My name is uh, Darius. I am one of the pastors here at MRCC. I love it here. I'm going to put my inhaler down. I was having an asthma attack the last service. Thank you for not making fun of me. I really thought you were going to laugh when I said that. So good. Well, laughing now is just cruel. Laughing then would have been funny. But <laughs> I am uh, really, really grateful to be a part of MRCC. My wife and I moved here a little over a year ago. And uh, for us, Claw is home, and MRCC is home, and uh, we're excited about what God is doing. We are going to go ahead and jump into the book of Mark. I've been working through Mark in my personal uh, study myself, and so as it happened, and Greg asked me if I'd preach this week, uh, this was kind of just already on my heart and on what God was doing in me. So Mark chapter 11, and you're going to go to verse 22. And we'll go through verse 24. If you're not super familiar with the Bible, then uh, you're going to want to open your Bible up to the New Testament. See where it says New Testament. And then you're going to want to keep going to the second book. If you are really familiar with your Bible, you don't need any help. uh, And you'll find us there. Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 24. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of a precursor to this because there's a bridge to this text that we're going to be looking at. Um, and the bridge for the text we're going to be looking at is is a couple big things. One uh, thing of, of minor note is that this is happening right after Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, it's a huge deal. This is right after Jesus enters Jerusalem and people begin recognizing him really in mass for the first time as the Messiah. And they still don't know what that means. They still don't know um, how to react to that or really how to treat him in that way or even what they think Messiah Messiah means. But this is the first time that people come out in masses with the expectation and understanding that this is different, that he's not just a teacher, that there's something special happening. And many people are expecting Jesus to actually overthrow the government. Uh, Not unlike today. So, anyway, then what happens after that is as they, I'm not saying it's happening, I'm saying a lot of people are talking about it. What happens is as Jesus is entering Jerusalem, they pass by a fig tree and Jesus really likes figs. So Jesus sees the fig tree from afar off and he sees that the fig tree is in bloom. This is only of note because it kind of bridges our text here, but I want to kind of set this up uh, in this way. The fig tree's in bloom, and it, which means it has blossoms. The way that a fig tree works uh, is that a fig tree blooms and produces fruit either concurrently or the fruit will come before the leaves, the blooms, which means that if you can see blossoms on the fig tree, it better have figs. It should already have figs on it, ready to pluck and eat if you can see blossoms. So, as Jesus walks up to it, he recognizes that it's covered in blossoms, but it has no fruit. And when Jesus wants figs, Jesus gets figs. So, Jesus is not happy with this fig tree. He curses the fig tree, and then they keep walking. A day and a half later, they're on their way out of Jerusalem and they all notice that they walk by the same fig tree and the disciples exclaim, Jesus, that's the same fig tree. That useless one that you were mad at. And it's withered up at the roots and it's dead. This is a, this is a word picture here because what Jesus is saying is he's commenting on uh, Israel at the time and he's commenting on what's happening uh, in his time. And what, what God is observing is that there is a lot of what looks like fruitful faith, but there is a lack of reality to it. And this is, this is a good precursor for us this morning because God is calling us, as we talk about this next passage, he is not calling us to pretty Christianity. He's not calling us to a Christianity that looks like blossoming uh, only. He is calling us by his work because he's the vine dresser, because he's the God that produces fruit, because he's the spirit that indwells and does the work of making fruit in us. He's calling and inviting us, not, not just to look, Look fruitful but to set aside the facade and be fruitful with God not just to have a veneer of something good happening but to actually engage with God and God wants to produce good loving gentle kind merciful life-giving fulfilling fruit in us this morning so we jump off there and that's the that's the the pre-sermon Mark chapter 11, though, we pick up right after this fig tree. In verse 22, so I'm going to read this. I think it's on the screen. And uh, in 22, it says, Jesus says, have faith in God. Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, and they're overlooking the Mount of Olives, they can see it. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. There are a lot of ways in which a younger Darius has misinterpreted this text. That younger Darius has been uh, bridled. And today we're gonna look at what Jesus has to say about what, who and what God is in this text. Because God is not telling us to have more and better faith this morning. He is reminding us of who our faith is in today. So I wanna pray. And I just felt like this morning as I was walking uh, over from the office building over to the sanctuary before the first gathering, I just felt like God was saying, I want to touch people's lives today. So Holy Spirit, we just invite that. We invite you as only you can to touch people today. We invite you to touch people that are sick and bring healing. We invite you to touch marriages that are struggling and bring reconciliation. We invite you to to touch lonely people. Who are hurting for relationship, who are hurting for for people in their life, and that you would remind them that they're not alone because you're with them. We're praying this morning, God, that you would touch grieving parents and bring them peace, grieving children, and bring them hope. And God, that you would touch our church, give us purpose and mission in a completely fresh way with you today, because you are a good and loving God, and you want to take us on a mission with you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Whoa, there you go. Um, It's nothing, are two words that get linked together a lot and they can be used in a plethora of ways uh, it's nothing or two they're two of the most powerful words that you can put together and you can use them for good or evil but like spider-man says with great power comes great responsibility so know what you're doing when someone says it's nothing Jesus here is also saying it's nothing right um, when we is paraphrasing but when the disciples see the mountain Jesus says this mountain if you you ask me to move it into the sea it's nothing for me I can cast it into the sea people we're not as good at using the phrase it's nothing illustration if you're married that's all <laughs> honey do we need to talk it's nothing <laughs> you looking at the bills it's nothing <laughs> did I do something wrong it's nothing you go back out there and you eat turkey with your parents (laughs) that didn't happen to me that's a joke uh but if you're married you know what those words can mean and all the men are kind of like chuckling like yeah women right (laughs) but you're the worst offenders (laughs) because like when when a woman comes to her husband and says hey can you take out the trash but it's in the middle of the seahawks game he gets up, and he starts speaking orc or whatever, and he grabs a trash, and he's walking out, and his wife can hear him mumbling, what's that, honey? And he goes, it's nothing. He takes the trash out like a five-year-old and goes back to his chair. It's nothing is one of those phrases that can mean. People also will do this. They'll say it's nothing, and they'll put those two words together when it means something really bad for instance really quick i'm going to wrap this up my wife cuts my hair and when we when we were teenagers we started dating i would never had money for a haircut and my hair would get moppy and she would say do you want a haircut and we'd take the clippers from my mom's bathroom and my wife would just start shaving and um to this day she still cuts my hair and there are moments i told my wife this last night and she went ha <laughs> <laughs> There are moments where I'll feel like clippers like on the back of my head, and I'll feel like a bzzz, and it shoots off in a different direction, and I'll hear her go, uh-oh. <laughs> Followed immediately by, it's nothing. <laughs> I would have felt better if she had said, I ruined it. You're going to be bald for the rest of your life. Then it's nothing. It's nothing means it's so bad I can't tell you in my mind, Right? Now, my wife gives me good haircuts. She's phenomenal. But it's a feeling, right? And you use that when, when you want to say it's nothing. When you're a kid and you call your parents because you have a question about how to put out a fire, and your parent says, what are you talking about? You, it's nothing. It's just nothing. Just in case there is a fire. There's not one. Bye. It's nothing is one of those words. But when Jesus says it's nothing, Jesus is not bluffing, he's not lying, and he's not pretending. When Jesus looks at something and says, do not worry, it's nothing. We can take his words at face value because to Jesus, my mountain and your mountain really are nothing in the face of our Savior. The first thing is this, is that Jesus tells us that it's nothing compared to what He's done. I love this moment when the disciples see the fig tree because they see the fig tree and it's another example of Jesus's miraculous ministry. They see the fig tree and it's another example of of what God can do. And they think back about all the miracles they've seen. Right? The disciples think back when when Jesus says, I can move this mountain into the sea, there's context behind that. When Jesus says, I can move a mountain into the sea, it means something to them because they remember watching him pull a dead girl up out of a bed and watching her walk and come back to life. They remember just a, a few days prior to this, meeting a blind man named Bartimaeus, and Jesus says, I want you to see again, and all of a sudden he can see again. They remember uh, being with Jesus while he's preaching, and a massive crowd gathers, and they're tired, and they're hot, and they're they're irritable, and they're hungry, and Jesus says, don't worry, I have enough for everyone, and they take one basket of food, and they feed 5,000 people, people the disciples have seen what jesus has done so they know that they can take him at his word even the enemy knows what jesus has done in joshua chapter 2 amen in joshua chapter 2 verse 10 it says this Um, the 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 disciples are not disciples the people of israel they send spies over into the land that they want to conquer And so they send a handful of spies over because God has told them that they're supposed to go inhabit a new land. And when they send spies over, Israel is a tiny, tiny, tiny group of people. And the land of Canaan that they're going to conquer is a big, big land with big, powerful nations, with literal giants living there, 10-foot-tall warrior men. And a handful of spies go over across the river and they're doing some reconnaissance to find out how they're gonna come inhabit this land. And even though Israel is a tiny country that has been enslaved for hundreds of years and only freed 40 years earlier, they come across the river and they meet this woman named Rahab. And in Joshua 2, verse 10, she recognizes them foreigners in a land, she recognizes them and she says, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan and to Sihon and to Og whom you devoted to destruction. Even even the enemy that is greater than Israel in this moment recognizes that there is someone who has done something for them and they are intimidating. I wanna encourage you that because of what God has done for you, you can have confidence in what he's going to do with you. And I wanna promise you that what God has done in you is proof of what God is going to continue to do through you. Man, if you question yourself and you you are wondering whether God is working in your life, I just want to encourage you today, remember where you started. Remember where you came from. Yes, you may be dealing with depression today, but remember where you came from. Remember that people told you you'd never make it. Remember that you didn't have hope. Remember that you screwed everything up. Remember that you made a mess of things. But remember that God was not done with you then. He wasn't done with you when you were lost. He wasn't done with you in your brokenness. He wasn't done with you because you made a mistake. He wasn't done with you because of your lack of faithfulness. No, instead, God was doing things in you that now are coming out through you. And even the enemy sees that. That just encourages me because I like trash talk. I like to talk big smack talk. This is why I've told one of my friends before, I don't like to do competitive things because it brings bad things out in me. (laughs) But man, when I think about the enemy and the fact that he has seen every victory Jesus has won, it makes me remember that my God has given me confidence today. When I remember everything Jesus has done, and I remember that the enemy knows every failure and every battle he's lost. He lost a battle for my soul. He lost a battle for my life. He lost the battle against my marriage. He lost the battle against my mental health. He lost the battle against illness and sickness. He lost the battle against discouragement. The enemy has lost so many battles against me to my savior. It is hilarious. And I know that my God can because of what he's done. So the the, the path to, to moving mountains begins like this. It begins with a look back. And man, even just right now, I'd encourage you this weekend. I know we just had Thanksgiving and everyone's telling you the same thing, but man, to just take an inventory of the victories God has won this year. You're not wearing a mask at church. You might be wearing a mask at church. If you are. Sometimes you just speak too soon. You don't have to wear a mask right now at church. You still have a job if you're me until tomorrow. (laughs) Take a look back at the year that you've had. You're here today. Take a look back at the year that you've had and God has been faithful to you. Take a look back at the year that you've had and God was not done with you. He's still working in you. Take a look back at the last two, the last three, the last five years. Look at where your kids have come. Look at where your family has come. Look at where your relationships have come. God has done good things. So here is why thankfulness is a good start to moving mountains. It's because... Thankfulness produces good fruit in your life. Man, thankfulness produces good fruit in your life. Here's some examples. Thankfulness produces the fruit of courage. It's courage to continue. Galatians chapter six, verse nine, right? It says, don't grow weary of doing good, but continue for in due season, you'll reap a harvest if you do not give up. Don't grow weary, but remember that your God is the God of the harvest and you will not give up. It makes you generous. First Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it says, uh, you've been born again to a living hope, to a grace, and to an inheritance that is undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. When we realize that God has given us an inheritance in heaven that is undefiled and unfading, and it is waiting for us, and that we are the inheritance of God, it makes us generous people. What, ca- what can I hold back from my neighbor if God has given me a heavenly inheritance? What can I hold back from my spouse if God has given me everything? What can I hold back from those that hate me if God died for me when I was still an enemy of God? What can I hold back if my inheritance is kept in heaven for me? Nothing, I have to be generous. It makes me endure through hardship. Philippians chapter four, 12 and 13. It says, uh, in, in, in everything I've learned, the secret to facing plenty and hunger, hardship and ease. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Being thankful for what God has done reminds us that we don't have to give up when there are hardships. It reminds us that we can make it through the next trial. It reminds us that we can make it over the next mountain. It brings us contentment. Oh, Psalm 23, if you haven't read Psalm 23 in a while, go to your Bible, go to the Old Testament and just rip through Psalm 23. It's so good. And Psalm 23 reminds us that we have a good shepherd. We have everything that we need, that his goodness and his mercy will chase us down for the rest of our life. Man, how can I not be content when I know that my shepherd is Jesus? So that's what thankfulness does. It begins to move mountains in our life because it begins to change us today. The second thing is this, is that it's nothing to me today. It's nothing to me today. Or you could also say it's nothing because of who is with me today. Uh, When I was young, I was was a very timid driver. It was really difficult for me when I turned 16. I wanted to drive immediately. So I got my license the day I turned 16, and I was driving... (laughs) driving my dad's cargo van around Yakima and getting in trouble, but I was so afraid of getting pulled over. I was afraid of getting in Iraq. I was afraid I was going to make a mistake. I was just very timid, and a few years later, I even though I was a timid 16-year-old, I was also a married 20-year-old. Those two things don't seem like they should connect, but somehow they do, and when I was 20 years old, I was about to have my wedding, and I was going to pick up my older brother from the airport. So we were in Yakima, and we had to drive across Noqualmie to pick up my brother from the airport in Seattle at SeaTac. And it was a time of year, it was March uh, 3rd, it was a day and it was a time of year where like sometimes the past can be beautiful and clean and dry and and easy during the day, but then it can just freeze can really fast overnight and just get really, really ugly. So we drove over in the morning and the pass was so easy to, to drive from Yakima to Seattle. It was so nice. And then we picked my brother and um, his wife up from the airport. And then when we started to drive them back, it, it got dark and it started raining and snowing and it was just just like, it looked like inches of ice on the road. And so I'm driving everybody. And um, I'm not a confident driver still at 20. It took, me, it took me a couple years before I was even ready after I got my license to drive out of Yakima. So here, I'm 20 years old and I'm driving this car. And my older brother uh, said, hey, would it make you feel more comfortable if I would drive? And before he was done, I was unbuckled and out of the door. And my brother got in the front seat And here's the context for me was my brother had gotten some kind of medal or something or other when he was in Iraq during his his third tour in Iraq with the army uh, because he chased uh, in he chased somebody across an intersection with his Humvee. he stopped traffic, he blocked traffic, he created a forward facing whatever the, towards the enemy so that the people behind him were safe and then he pursued and, and chased down this terrorist and and this is like something he got for driving during combat and I was like. I think we know who's more qualified. So he gets, in the, he gets in the seat, he's older than I am. He gets in the seat and he starts driving and this is what he does. The road is just caked in ice, it looks bad. And he gets in, he goes, and he guns it as fast as he can. And then immediately afterwards, he goes, and he stops it as hard as he can. And my wife and I are in the back, just absolutely as pale as the ice on the road. Our eyes are the size of cups. And my brother, after he guns it, he's checking to see how it can get traction. And he stops it to see how the road is going to get stopping traction. And he stops and he looks back at us and he goes, it's nothing. (laughs) And because I knew who was in my vehicle, I knew that we were going to make it across the mountain. Because Jesus is in your vehicle, you can be confident that you're going to make it across the mountain. Because Jesus is with you, you can be confident that you're going to get to safety across the mountain. Because Jesus is who he is, you can have confidence in where you are going. Maybe you are called to do something. Maybe God has given you a vision or a dream or a calling in your life. You can be confident that if God has called you to something, it is he that will navigate and get you there safely. You can be confident that if you are facing a mountain today, whether it's a personal health problem, whether it is a mental health problem, whether it is an emotional crisis, maybe you're grieving and you're mourning, Maybe you're dealing with division in your family. Maybe you're dealing with deep, deep, deep loneliness. Maybe you're dealing with woundedness from a wound that is long past or a wound that is fresh and you don't know how those mountains are going to move. I understand that and I feel the same way, but God is inviting us in Mark chapter 11 to remember who he is. And because he is with us, we can walk with confidence today. Sometimes I think that the lack of confidence is our undoing in our faith. Because I think that our lack of confidence is what actually leads us to failure sometimes. I think that sometimes because we believe that sin and temptation will beat us, we've lost before we enter the ring. Because we believe that we have no chance at changing, we've lost before we ever begin. But because we believe that we cannot grow any farther, we've lost before we even get an effort forth. It's interesting because Christians will do this. And like a chef wouldn't sit down to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and say, man, I'm gonna mess this up. Like if you were a UFC fighter, you wouldn't walk into a bar if you were Conor McGregor, you wouldn't walk into a bar and say, man, I hope someone doesn't beat me up. you walk into the bar and you go, who needs to be put up today? That's what you do. If you're an NFL linebacker, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go to like participate in some kind of training exercise with junior high kids and go, I hope I don't get hit too hard. You have the confidence of the Savior, of the the, the creator of the universe, the king and the master of death, the, the God who did not only go to the grave but rose from the grave, the God that has the mastery of the universe at his fingertips, the Jesus that spoke life into being the word of God. You have the confidence of that God in you. In Zechariah chapter four, verse six and seven, God encourages Zechariah. He says, greater is the God that's in you than anything. That's in the world, and so I think that God is calling us to walk into the battle with confidence, knowing that God will win. I don't have to. I don't have to be afraid that temptation is going to beat me. As a matter of fact, temptation needs to be afraid when it comes to defeat me, because God is on my side. I think the other thing that 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 we need to calibrate on as Christians that God's calling us to here in Mark. Is, is the way that we look at current events. Because sometimes, not to, be, not to be mean, because this happens to me too, but sometimes I think we sound like Chicken Little. Like sometimes I'll, I'll spend time with my younger brother and he likes to talk about politics because he reads stuff and I don't because I don't like to read stuff like that because it just stresses me out. And I'll walk away from the conversation thinking like, man, man. Everything's, gonna, everything's just going to suck. Nothing good's going to happen. This is the worst. We're all, we're all going to live in Russia in 10 years. All of us, they're going to take us over there. We're just going to be stuck there. I think sometimes we sound like the sky is falling. The sky is falling. That's Don Knotts from Chicken Little. Okay. Um, I think sometimes we sound like that to the world. We're constantly like, well, if we don't get this right, then everything's going to be bad. Well, if we don't get our act together, then who knows what's going to happen? Well, you know that what we're doing with the American economy is everything's going to be ruined. And, And sure, you know, I don't know. Maybe those things are true. But God's people don't look at current events like that. That's the way the rest of the world is supposed to see current events. We are supposed to see the sky falling and say the rapture is happening. We're supposed to see the volcano and say Jesus' bell is going off. We're supposed to see things going bad and say, you know what? It's time for God to come back. We're supposed to be excited when bad things happen, not because people are hurting, but because our God has it all under control. That's what God calls us to, that confidence. People will ask you, People will ask you, how are you so calm right now? How is your world not turned upside down? And you can feel free and I can feel free to say, my world is turned upside down. I am afraid. I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm anxious and I'm worried. But. I know that I don't have to freak out because I have confidence that God loves me, that he's working all things out together for my good, and that God has got this under control. Man, what a witness to the world. What a witness to the world that instead of crying and screaming and wailing about the despair that we would <laughs> that we would bring good news that there's a God that loves the world, that died for the world, that wants to heal the world. Instead of complaining about people's brokenness and despairing over people's brokenness, that instead of despair, we would bring good news, that there's a God who can heal wounds, that can bind up the brokenhearted, that can set at liberty the captives, and that can open prison doors. That's the witness of what believers should be. It's a journey getting there, at least for me it is, because I'm still complaining about living in Russia. However... I'm believing that God has this under control and we're working forward from there. God's confidence should be on us. The third and the last thing is this, is that it's nothing to worry about. It's nothing to worry about. It's nothing to the future. Um, I, love, I love that when people talk about climbing mountains, they sound so confident if you've ever seen someone talk about climbing a mountain or like I see this, this on t-shirts or bumper stickers or whatever, and it will say like, I conquered Rainier. I summited Everest. I I, like, I conquered K2. Like I'm a, I'm a conqueror. I can't believe I've accomplished this. And I just think to myself, you haven't conquered nothing. Like, If anything, you barely survived. (laughs) That that mountain is not impressed. (laughs) The mountain, you don't get to the top of the mountain and the mountain's like, oh no, not another one. (laughs) Defeat. If anything, you're like a flea of a flea on the back of the mountain, it's not bothered. Like, someone climbs a mountain, and it's like months and years of preparation, and they get halfway up, and then they give up, and they have to come back the next year, and they take all their gear, and it's like vomiting, and it's not having a bathroom, and it's sleeping in the cold, and it's shivering, and it's crying, and it's saying, we're never going to make it, and then all of a sudden, people get to the top, and they're like, yeah, take that mountain, and the mountain's like, be careful, because if the wind blows, you're gone. And I just think it's important to remember, like if you've climbed a mountain, let me be clear, you've done something I'll never attempt to do. I have asthma, so the air is already thin enough right here. (laughs) However, (laughs) I also want to bring a reminder that you and I are not mountain conquerors. There's not a single one of the mountains that you're gonna beat, and that Jesus is gonna clap and applaud and say, way to go. I don't wanna discourage you, but I have to, I have to like, be clear. You cannot conquer sin. You cannot conquer temptation. You cannot, you cannot beat the relationship problem that you're facing. You, can't, you cannot, let me repeat, you cannot fix your marriage. You cannot save your kids. You cannot transform yourself or change yourself. The mountains that are ahead of you, Jesus does not say, look at those mountains and make sure that you're very spiritual and then you can throw the mountains. What Jesus says is have faith in God. Because when you speak to this mountain that it will be cast into the sea, it will, not because of you, not by your might or by your power, but by God's spirit. Because there is one exception to every person that's ever tried to conquer a mountain. You know, like people argue about whether we call it Tacoma or we call it Rainier or Denali or whatever the other name is or whatever. The mountain doesn't care what it's called. You can call it whatever you want. It doesn't change the mountain one bit. There is one exception, though. There is one man that climbed a mountain and conquered it, and he carried a cross up to a mountain that they called Skull in their language or Golgotha in Aramaic. Or today, the word that we use for the mountain that was conquered is called Calvary. And the name of that mountain matters because that mountain that was named skull or like death is now the symbol for life everlasting. Because you might not be able to conquer a mountain, but your Savior, sure as mountain can, he can conquer and climb every mountain. As a matter of fact, the same God who made the mountain can move the mountain. Man, I love the fact that there was a moment where it looked like Jesus was defeated by a mountain. There was a moment where the whole world went dark and it looked like the mountain had had the last day. And then a day and a half later, Jesus came back with a vengeance and said, I'm so sorry, but that mountain belongs to me again. This is my mountain and it's no longer a mountain of death and crucifixion. It's now a mountain of life and hope and healing and joy and contentment and restoration because I've conquered a mountain. Today, you and I are not mountain conquerors or mountain movers, but we have a God who is. So today, I just want to invite you to take a moment with me and to think about whatever mountain is in front of you. that mountain is a a mountain of dirty laundry that you have in your closet, I want to invite you to put that at Jesus' feet today. If that mountain is pain that you can't let go of, I want to invite you to ask Jesus to move that today. If that mountain is dysfunction in your family or your marriage, oh, I want to invite you And distinctly, I wanted to say earlier, you cannot fix your marriage, but Jesus can change you. Jesus can re-knit that together. You cannot save your children, but Jesus can redeem your children. You cannot be satisfied with yourself if you're alone, but you can be satisfied with Jesus and never need Never need, never want again, because he's got you. So Jesus, we just lay these mountains at your feet and we ask God, because of who you are, because you're the God that loves us and has been faithful to us. You're the God that dried up the Red Sea, that defeated the kings of the Amorites. You're the God that beat depression, that beat suicidal thoughts. You're the God that beat grief and mourning and pain. You're the God that has beaten sickness and illness and death. You're the God that has defeated sin. You're the God that has defeated woundedness. You're the God that is the Lord over trauma. You're the God that is the king over brokenness. Because of that, you are the God that can move mountains today. So we just invite that right now in this moment. God, we lay that down at your feet. If you're watching this online this morning right where you are in your chair in your bed at your kitchen table i just want to invite you right now in jesus name to release that mountain to god because god wants to move it for you he's not concerned with making your life easy but he is concerned with drawing your heart to him and he wants to do that today If you would just do this with me if, if you're uh, if you wouldn't mind closing your eyes and bowing your heads for a moment I just I want to have a moment where everyone has privacy if you have uh, you have, if you have a sin if you have sin in your life a sin if you have sin in your life you have things that are in your life that are dysfunctional that you can't seem to get past or get over then you need Jesus to move that mountain no one's looking around, but would you just respond to Jesus right now? He's the only one looking. Would you just respond to God right now by lifting your hand? No one's counting this. No one's looking. My eyes are closed. But, man, I just want to invite you right now to actually make a real physical response to God. To say, God, I need you to move this. I need you to move me past the sin. I need you to move me past this hurt. I need you to move me past this broken way. If you've got a prayer request that you've been bringing to God over and over and over again in this room, and you are wondering when God's ever going to move, can I just encourage you? God has been to your future. He knows the end. He knows how it goes. He knows who wins. But if you're despairing right now and you're dealing with discouragement because of what's going on in your life, would you just put put your hand up, put both your hands up and just say, God. Move this mountain of discouragement. Jesus, we just invite you to move discouragement and God, give courage because you're the God. You're the God that gives confidence. Because you're in the car, we know that we're safe. It's nothing to you. God, it's nothing to you. God, it's nothing to you man, last thing. I just feel like just wanted to just encourage people today. In this room, if you feel like God has called you to something or put a, put a godly dream in your heart or in your mind or if there's some directive God has given you somewhere he wants you to go or something that he wants you to do, uh, I want to encourage you right now. Um, if God has brought you to that mountain, God will take you past it. There's nothing that he will not do. So I just want to encourage you. If your dream is just to have a healthy family, who man, God can do it. If your dream is to do ministry, man, God can do it. If your dream is to bless people, God can do it. I just want to encourage you today. If God's put stuff in your heart. Trust him with that. Jesus, we thank you that you're good, that you love us, that you're not done with us, and that you're the God that conquered Calvary, defeated our sin and death, and you're alive today in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we're dismissed. Be healed and whole in God's love and his truth this week. Amen.